Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am doing a combination of three separate interviews I did with uh, black belts within the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world. I'm getting the feedback from black belts about a 2018 case where a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt was rolling with a white belt and the white belt was paralyzed. And there has been a lawsuit since the incident and it really just came, everything really came down, came to to a settlement, I believe is what it was, in early April, late March of 2023. And so I'm kind of getting into this now and I'm very intrigued because uh, uh, I do believe there's a divide among black belts and gym owners about this. Although there, there may be a consensus that they're not happy, uh, or not a consensus, but I would say the majority, in my opinion, of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts and gym owners uh, have been very critical, it seems, of Henner Gracie and him serving as a expert witness for the prosecution, and he was compensated for doing so. So a lot of people are criticizing Henner, and on this case, they're anti-Henner. But I have found that there's multiple people I've come across. Some of them even uh, surprised me who actually uh, are taking the, the other stance on the issue. So in today's episode, in this order, I am joined by first, Phil Perkins, second, Brian Phillips, third, Sean Applegate, and then fourth in the final guest of the episode today is Kyle Hinkle. Thank you so much for tuning into the Kelly Patrick Show. If you're a fan, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. We are now joined by Phil Perkins. Phil is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt out of Louisville, Kentucky. Phil, how are you today? Good, man. How you doing? 
Good. Phil, I appreciate you joining me. Um, Of course, today's episode is kind of a compilation. I'm trying to talk to a bunch of different black belts to hear their thoughts on the uh, Jack Greener case. Uh, In 2018 in California, Jack was rolling. He was a white belt and he was rolling with a black belt gym owner. And uh, there was like a a back take that was done uh, from the turtle position. And long story short, Jack Greener was injured and Henner Gracie got involved with it. And then long story short, now um, uh, Jack Greener is owed $46 million. So basically that um, his gym sounds to me like it's probably shut down. I don't think he has $46 million to pay. I wanted to know what your thoughts were on the case. Uh, well, I mean, it's unfortunate for everybody. And, um, but I, I don't think it was malicious after seeing the video. I mean, it's a back take. Everybody knows, or a lot of people know. And um, I just think it was an unfortunate accident. I, I One thing I wonder is, it happened in 2018. The law- One moment. Are, are you there, Phil, for some reason? Okay, so we, we so, broke up there for just a moment. You said, you said it happened in 2018, and then what? Yeah, this is the first we've heard of it, which to me is a little bit weird. I mean, I understand that the case just now is final, but nobody is, this has not come up at all before. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate, man. It's, it's sad for the guy it happened to. It's sad for the gym owner. I'm sure he's going to deal with all kinds of repercussions. I'm sure he's got insurance and, and the guy signed a waiver, but I, I that probably doesn't cover a, a whole lot. And I'm sure they got to come up with, he's going to pay somehow, some way. I'm sure the business is shut down and, and all that guy was doing was probably trying to get another round in and, and get another day of training in and probably even help the guy out. So it's very unfortunate. From my perspective, Phil, it's, it's difficult because you have a, a, a guy who wrestled in college come in and I, I was told he's actually even trained jujitsu at least for a couple of years now. So he's clearly a, you know, a good grappler. Uh, I'm not a black belt. You are. If someone comes in off the street and they roll with you, I guess that's a different story because if they're really physically large and you're smaller, of course, to hold your own, you got, I mean, you either let them beat you up or you kind of politely submit them. Um, so, I mean, wh- where do you draw the line? How do you handle new people coming into the gym as a black belt when you roll with them? Yeah, I don't, re- I don't really roll with a whole lot of the brand new people. You know, some of the, the guys that have been around for a short amount of time, I'll get some rounds in. But, but again, this guy, I believe he's trained for a couple years. So I, I, a guy comes in that wrestled and has competed. I believe someone said he competed in the Pan Ams even. Um, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't think twice about going for a rolling back take on him or, or anything else, you know. I mean – uh, I don't, again, I don't think it was malicious. I don't think he, I don't think he did anything wrong. I don't think, I just don't believe he did. I just believe it was horrible circumstances. He was that one in a million. He was the one that got struck by lightning and, uh, it's, it's super unfortunate on, on all the ends. What are your thoughts on Henner Gracie being involved in the, in the case? Yeah. What's weird to me. I don't know what, what his real involvement was. He, that guy's coach or was he, you, you know, is that, I don't know how, how yeah. he even involved with, with the whole case. My, um, my understanding is this turned into kind of a high-profile lawsuit. And Clark Gracie, so from the Carlos side, uh, was brought in as an expert witness for 
the defense, okay, so they had one Gracie as the expert witness for the gym owner, and then Henner Gracie was brought on, and both of them were paid. He was brought on as the expert witness for, I guess, the prosecution. Unbelievable. So, <laughs> I mean, I, it's not really anything. This is this is bad. This is on the, the far, far end of the spectrum, but I don't think it's really that surprising from some of the stuff that guy's done. He'll He's definitely a salesman. And, and good at selling things and uh, selling out, I would say. Um, but this is just a prime example of it. I don't like to get into the politics of all of it because at the end of the day, I just I just like to train and do my thing. But uh, he, if I had to if I had to start a list of, of the guys that I think have sold out, he he would be on the top of that list. So, um, does this set a bad precedent for? black belts and gym owners all across the country or maybe even across the world. Uh, because if you're, you know, if you, if you're rolling with someone all of a sudden now, if something happens and they get injured because you're a black belt, that kind of makes it based on this specific lawsuit, that makes it look like you're automatically at fault if the other guy's injured and you could be, you know, held liable. And this is $46 million. I mean, that's arguably ruining this black belt's life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like anything. Like when uh, McDonald's lady got burned with a cup of coffee, all of a sudden everybody's getting burned by a cup of coffee. So I'm sure, I'm sure this won't be the only case we hear. But um, all we can do is is be careful, be as careful as we can, which is what most of us always do. But be a little extra careful, be a little extra cautious who we roll with and who we, you know, spend our time with on the mats. Just think, think twice before you go for, for certain moves with certain people, you know. But, again, most of us are as safe as we can be all the time. I just think it was a freak accident. A freak accident, in your opinion, it, it this lawsuit is ultimately bad for the jiu-jitsu community. I, I, believe, it, I, I believe it's bad for the jiu-jitsu community. I, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be this huge, huge thing, but maybe, maybe, hopefully it doesn't catch on. Hopefully it doesn't become a trend. Hopefully it's just one time and it's something we all are careful of and it kind of, um, hopefully the guy gets back to the best life he can live and hopefully the gym owner finds a a, a good life after what happened and, and everybody moves on. But you know how things are, trends catch on, unfortunately, good and bad. So we'll see. Not every black belt that I'm interviewing for this episode is also a gym owner, but you are, okay? Does this make you reconsider, like, your insurance for everything? I mean, how has this impacted you as not only a black belt head instructor for uh, your gym, but as a gym owner? Does this make you kind of think, oh, shit, I hope I'm insured enough? Yeah, it's made us think twice already, just talking about a few things and, um, you know, what's the real strength of a waiver and what what can we do to cover us beyond the waiver? You know, it made me think who pays that 46 million. I'm sure the insurance, but they got to get it from somewhere. Yeah. Um, and that can impact the, the other jujitsu gyms. Maybe if those are the type of contracts, the insurance companies now have to do, I mean, that money doesn't grow on trees. It comes from somebody. So somebody's insurance premiums are going up because of this payout for sure. Yeah. So somewhere deep down, it's going to affect us. I guess the, the more and more you think about it, but, um, yeah, yeah, we're definitely, it's definitely changed a little bit of our thought process. Good stuff. Well, Phil, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, once again, Phil Perkins, Area 502 MMA, Louisville, Kentucky. Phil, thank you very much for your time. Thanks. I'm interested to hear from the other black belts, but I'm, I'm interested to hear from some black belts that are under 
Henner might be associated with him and his association, I'd be interested to hear their opinion on this as well. Yeah, I'm trying my best to get people that I don't know for sure what their their opinion on this is. So I'm 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 doing my very best, Phil, not just to get people who are upset with Henner, but someone who will actually defend him. Because I have heard some people articulate that that back take is, in particular, pretty dangerous. And you can see where it kind of is, right? It's the awkward turtle roll thing. And if you're not yeah, controlling the neck, I mean, that clearly that can mess your neck up. Yeah, same time you're going to say that I can a Sotogari and try to slam your head through the floor, or I can double leg takedown, or I can, you know, heel hook, or whatever, even straight ankle lock, I can try to break your Achilles, but I can't try to roll you over on it. You know, when you practice somersaults, you practice forward rolls. If the guy wrestled, he's learned how to do rolls. He's rolled however long he wrestled. This guy's learned how to roll for 10 years, you know? So, but anyway. Good stuff. (laughs) Phil Perkins, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Cool, man. Appreciate it. We now have Brian Phillips on the line with us. Brian is a... Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, based out of Louisville, Kentucky. Brian, how are you today? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? Doing very well. Really appreciate you joining me. Of course, it seems everyone in the world of uh, the Jiu-Jitsu community, not just here in the United States, but I can imagine all across the world, is familiar with this 2018 uh, incident now that occurred in California. Uh, a student, a white belt student named Jack Greener was in a jiu-jitsu academy and he was rolling with, I believe it was the head instructor, maybe jiu-jitsu academy owner, of course, a black belt. And long story short, Jack Greener was injured. There was like a rolling back take type situation out of turtle and Jack Greener was injured. I think he's um, to a degree paralyzed now. I don't know that he completely is not able to walk, but there was a, a big settlement. Henner Gracie was brought in as a expert witness on one side. I think his cousin Clark Gracie was brought in as the expert witness for the, um, I guess that would be the defense uh, right. for the gym owner. But I was going to ask Brian, what are your thoughts on this case? What, what is your description of what happened and what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, first, thanks for the opportunity to um, to to comment on this and to for me to give my I guess my my two cents for what it's worth. I'm certainly not a lawyer uh, uh, and don't don't claim to be one, um, but I I've been in jujitsu for a number of years, uh, several you know a few decades now, and um, been around a lot of um, training environments and different gyms, uh, and uh, no matter which way you look at this, it's a very uh, tragic incident uh, that occurred, and um, from just watching the video, um, at least the portion that I was able to see, I'm not sure if there was more video than what was released um, that you know Henner had access to when he was preparing for his testimony. Um, but the um, the situation, and I know those those who are listening uh, probably seen this and are familiar with it, but from the uh, the student was turtled and the uh, black belt, the instructor was attempting to take it back. And he did so with uh, kind of a, a forward roll uh, back take attempt um, that was made popular by Leo Vieira uh, from many years ago. Um, I would not say that that is an uncommon way to take the back. I, I think it's um, certainly a more uh, flashy way to do it. 
Um, and a lot of times, you know, people associate flashy with unsafe. Um, and uh, and I, I think just in looking at it, I, I don't believe that there was m- malicious intent on behalf of that instructor. I like to think that it, I, I would like to think that uh, the instructor who was doing this um, did not. His intention was not to injure um, his his uh, rolling partner in any way, shape or form. Um, but from what I understand, um, when he attempted it and, and just looking at the video uh, in order for that to be a successful back take attempt um the head has to be positioned properly of of the person you're attempting it on and as he went to roll uh, and the student reacted um it just resulted in what you saw which was very very unfortunate and um again i'm not an attorney but in looking at it um it, it looked like a very terrible accident in you know one that Hopefully what comes of this is, you know, it, 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 even when we look to minimize risk, um, on the mats and, you know, and I've been teaching for a number of years and that's something that we, we do a lot of, um, in our classes is, is is making sure safety is a top priority of everybody. Um, even when you minimize risks, accidents can still occur and can still happen. Um, you know, but again, this is just extremely unfortunate that it occurred. Um, and I think it's probably going to open up more conversations about safety on the mats, which isn't a bad thing. Um, and, you know, but we are in a combat sport, you know, we want to take care of each other and our training partners for longevity on the mats. Um, so, you know, my first seminar as a white belt, um, the instructor who was leading the seminar showed a, basically a very similar gi version of the, the back take from turtle that was shown on the video. Um, it was basically when you're behind the person, you get a grip on their collar and their leg and you do a forward roll and then you're, you're pulling them on top of you as in the process, you spin them and then you do a backwards roll on top of them. Incredibly more convoluted, um, than it needs to be. I think more complicated than it should be. Um, but as a white belt, I was learning that. And I remember at the time, um, being told, you know, there's no such thing as a white belt technique or a black belt technique. You know, it's jujitsu. Anybody can learn any different move at any level. Um, but where you run into trouble, I guess, is when you're um, certain moves on your training partner. You know, you obviously have to have to keep in mind their safety. Um, and if you're move, having moves worked on you, too, um, you have to be mindful of your own safety. In this case, though, you know, there was a skill disparity, of course. Um, I think by and large, um, I don't think this this person I've heard this person was a white belt. But uh, then I've I've also read and heard that he's competed in several tournaments and had several years of training as well. Um, so the classification of a beginner is debatable, I guess. Um, but nonetheless, um, I, I, I feel by and large that um, it's very safe for black belts to roll with white belts where you get into trouble by and large. Again, this is generalizing it is when you get white belts rolling full force against other white belts. Um, that's when I, the most injuries I think are, are happening. Um, if, if that goes unchecked and is not um, 
controlled in a safe way, then that's when a lot more injuries can occur. So, um, yeah, I guess my bottom bottom line on this is that it's just an unfortunate situation, and and hopefully it it makes people kind of have these conversations in their in their academies across the United States about how to perform things safely and take care of your partners. So these types of events don't happen going forward into the future. Okay. Now, as I said at the beginning, uh, I believe Clark Gracie, who of course is on the Carlos Gracie side of the family, was the expert witness for the defense. And then of Mm -hmm. course, Henner Gracie was brought in as an expert uh, witness for the prosecution. Um, Henner has been very transparent. He released a video describing his take on the entirety of the thing that was released yesterday. Did you see that video, Brian? I, I did. I did. Yes, I and did watch was, it. He was compensating. Really he said $93,000. What are your thoughts on Henner's involvement in the case? Well, you know, I think uh, like in any um, court case, you bring in expert uh, testimony um, and he's de- certainly a very visible figure in the jujitsu community. Um, I-, I think when you bring in witnesses, you're going to have a witness who is probably more in line with, with, with your arguments and your line of thinking. I mean, you're paying them basically to, um, uh, to, to be on your side to a degree. Um, uh, however, um, I, I, so, so I don't have problems with him being obviously, a an expert witness in this. I think where you get into trouble sometimes is when you take a testimony that was in a very specific case and you, you try to apply it more broadly um, across the board um, where it could have negative impacts on, on other gems that aren't necessarily associated with this person who was involved in the case. Um, you have a potential for, um, you know, the wrong conclusions to be made um, going forward in terms of if a student were to get injured, let's say, you know, you did a hip bump sweep on somebody um, and the person goes to base and they break an arm um, and it's a freak fluke accident. Well, could precedent be set from this case and its outcome, you know, going forward on other cases that may not be as, uh, as, as, as tragic. I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. Um, but he obviously, you know, did his research on, on this and knows a lot more about the details than I do. Um, and it's, I guess the defense's job to counter those, um, doesn't appear that did so successfully. Um, and so you kind of trust the process and the legal system. Um, I, I, I do think though, that it's, it's difficult when you have a jujitsu community um, that is so diverse to have um, have it. And I think what's happening is it's um, from what I'm reading is uh, some in the community are upset that they feel that Henner speaking on behalf of everyone in the community. For instance, uh, it's industry. Um, I think the, the language used was it's in, it's an industry standard or industry custom to not have white belts rolling. Well, maybe in certain places um, that's the case, but in others there's degrees of that. I feel um, and and so you know that's one example. I feel that folks are 
are a little upset or rub them the, the wrong way. Um, you know, and, and again, it's, it's, it, 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 there aren't uniform standards across the board. Um, and each academy is different, offers different things. Um, every place that I've been to, um, that I've trained at over the years, um, I've always felt very safe, um, on the mats. I mean, I've had my share of injuries over the years, but nothing thankfully too, too, um, too involved. Um, you know, so I, I don't think that, that anybody, you know, anybody anywhere is, is intentionally trying to hurt their students. If that's the case, I don't think Academy is going to be open very long, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I think you have people's, um, previous perceptions of Henner and, and everything coming into play here too. So it's a lot of, uh, noise out there and things that aren't as subjective, but, you know, again, it's just one of those things that's, um, it's a, it's unfortunate. Um, and hopefully the community learns from this. Um, and I think it's an opportunity too, to make sure that, you know, you do kind of do an audit of your safety procedures and your waivers that you have people sign. Um, if you have visiting students, you know, what's the protocol for that? I mean, you know, again, though, you can only minimize risk to a certain degree. These types of things are going to continue to happen. And as an outcome of this case, um, there could be more lawsuits that are filed going forward. Um, if if people feel like they've been, um, they look at this and they say, well, gosh, well, I was hurt or I got hurt and I feel that I should be compensated for it, then it's going to, and some of those may be valid and some of them might be people, you know, looking for a payout, uh, too. Um, not saying that was the case in this, in this, in this situation. Um, but I, I think that opportunity will, will come up in the future for, for some who will hacked in with good reason and others who just want to maybe take advantage of, of, of a situation. So remains to be seen. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And, and I guess with the expansion of jujitsu and the increasing popularity of jujitsu, something like this occurring to a degree was made in, in our litigious society here in the United States in particular. It, mm-hmm. it was almost inevitable that something along these lines would happen at some point. I guess what's, what's, what can potentially be negative and hopefully not, but could be, is that $46 million payout, I, I assume, is coming from an insurance policy, okay? So if you have someone who owns a gym in the future, and they're signing up, and they need the insurance to cover their gym, I'm no rocket scientist, but I actually am an insurance agent, and I know that's ha- what results in insurance rates going up. So although it's difficult to run a gym already, uh, what I mm-hmm. fear is that this may negatively impact the ability for uh, uh, gym owners to insure properly insure their gym at an affordable or realistic rate. Yeah, I mean that's a fair. That's a, certainly a, a fair point. Um, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's it, it, I, that's uh, it, we're in a combat sport. It's a very physical sport. Um, you try to minimize the risks. I mean, you know, I, I, I know there's a variety of approaches to that, um, that, that, that work well, um, accidents can and do happen. Um, 
you know, I was this a, a situation where the person was reckless? I mean, on one side, you know, that instructor's probably done that that back take numerous times over the years and didn't have any problems with it. And there's just one time where it happened and it went south in a really bad way. And then all it takes is that one incident um, to, you know, change the trajectory of of both of their lives uh, and also the larger jujitsu community. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, uh, at least in my experience in teaching, especially with, you know, with kids, you know, at certain, certain ages aren't, aren't doing submissions on the mats and for, and for a good reason, you know, um, I, I think, um, focusing more on positional training, situational training, um, and in drilling that and getting that foundation good, uh, is, is, is appropriate because if you don't have a good foundation in, um, in the positions and reversals and knowing your way around all the different positions, um, with, again, speaking with, for, for on behalf, um, or not on behalf, but speaking about my, my experience teaching young kids, that's worked really well. Um, and, and then you work those in as they start to mature as, as kids in the young adults, um, where they have, um, more control over their bodies. Um, so they're not, uh, hurting, um, inadvertently their training partners and other kids and things like that. So that, you know, that's something I've, I feel works very, very well. I also think, um, that having with adults, um, my experience in teaching is that if somebody's brand brand new, never had a single jujitsu class in their life, um, you slow pedal them into uh, training uh, full on um, and in having making sure they have a certain number of classes under their belts, for instance, before they start free training. And then you're very selective in who they're free training with. Um, you know, again, though, my experience in training is when I work against other black belts, I'm not getting hurt by other black belts. I'm not getting hurt, um, by other brown or purple or blues. It's the new white belts that you really have to coddle, um, it, because th that's the closest to, you know, real live, you know, person from the street who doesn't know anything. That's the reactions you're going to kind of get there. And so you, you have to move them along so they stick around because if they get hurt you know within a couple months in or a weekend or whatever um it's it's not good for 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 business it's not good for morale it's not good for anybody um and so i think a lot of people are going to be uh, as a result of this looking at how they um uh, allow uh, new people and white belts in particular uh to roll uh what protocols are in place, what should be in place. And it's different for every gym. I don't think you can put a uniform approach on any of this. Um, because if you're at a very competition minded school, um, then at white belt, if you're wanting to compete, well, then you got to roll, right? Um, there's no way around that. Um, if, if they're wanting to compete at a tournament, you know, and that's another thing, our tournament's going to look at this technique now and say it's banned from competition. It's not an illegal technique, as far as I know, um, in tournaments currently. Uh, but will that change as a result of this? Uh, remains to be seen. Um, but I know certain techniques are banned, for, and for good reason, at certain levels, um, at, at, at white belts. 
um, you know, competitors, uh, um, you know, doing neck cranks, you know, all that stuff is, is, is rightfully not something you want people to do. Um, but, you know, I don't think you can do a, a one size fits all approach to this as a result of the outcome of the case. Makes sense, Brian. Very difficult situation. Brian Phillips, I really appreciate your time today. Um, Thank you very much. Like I said, I know it's a very difficult situation. Nobody in the jiu-jitsu community, regardless of what their opinion on this case is, nobody's happy that it happened. You know, it's, it's a negative outcome one way and a negative outcome the other way. So I think it's, it's fascinating to hear some different perspectives on it. And Brian, I certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yeah. And lastly, I'll just say if you're a student and you're, you're worried at all or have any concerns, I mean, I, I don't, I think we have the type of environment where I know people could come up and say something and, and, and suggest something or ask questions um, if they feel that their safety is, um, is being compromised in any way. And hopefully, you know, that, that uh, this, what good may come of this is that you have more of those conversations taking place, which I think are healthy to have. Certainly. Brian Phillips, thank you very much for your time. Uh, thank you so much. We are now joined by 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt. We have Sean Applegate on the line with us. Sean, I know you're familiar with the case. Uh, Henner Gracie testified. Uh, there was a 2018 event where a white belt, who was actually a a former wrestler, but relatively experienced white belt was rolling with a black belt. The white belt was injured. Henner Gracie, actually also Clark Gracie, they were both expert witnesses. And long story short, the uh, there was a settlement and the gym owner, the, the black belt, now owes $46 million. Sean, if you could give your description of what happened and what your thoughts are on this incident, that would be great. Yeah, man. So basically, from my understanding, after, after having watched the video, after having talked to a lot of people who were relatively close to it, like people that live in the area that know those guys and knew the guy that got his uh, knew the guy that got his neck hurt and stuff like that. Um, the idea here is that this guy was training at a gym, um, Barry Yoshida's gym. Uh, the, I think it's called the Arena or something like that. Um, and Barrett's a, obviously an incredible instructor and competitor himself. And he was a former wrestler, uh, still a white belt, though. Goes to Sinistro's gym, who's the instructor who got in trouble, the instructor who actually applied the technique that hurt him. Um, and he's in a beginner's class, and they're live training. And Sinistro finds himself attacking the turtle position, where um, the, you know, the plaintiff essentially is in the turtle position. And... Uh, the chosen method for taking the back uh, in this situation with Sinistro was this thing called a uh, like or what was be is being called a forward roll back take. Um, I think we all had different names for it leading up to that. Uh, at my school, we called it the uh, far side shoulder roll. Um, some people call it the Vieira roll. Actually, crazy enough, Leo Vieira is the guy who kind of like. Um, coined it he's kind of the guy who who really popularized it back in adcc he actually did it to my coach eddie bravo in their match after eddie beat hoyler leo did this move to eddie in their match um and so this is a pretty common move i feel like i feel like a lot of highlight videos like have this move on it a lot of people do this move obviously sinistro is a very accomplished uh black belt competitor he obviously uses this move and feels comfortable enough to do it to this guy 
And again, this guy is a wrestler. He's competed. Uh, he did like IB, major IBJJF tournaments. Um, this is not a guy who like is there to just learn how to defend himself. This is not a guy who's there like has a bunch of like weird immobility issues. Like this is a guy who is a competitive guy, relatively young guy in his twenties, and a reasonably athletic guy too. Um, considering the fact that now with the mobility that he has recovered, he literally climbs mountains and things like that. It's like his thing now. Um, so it's very hard for me to see how Sinistro choosing to do the forward roll back take was uh, like gross negligence, you know? Um, and with negligence, we would generally start to look at like a situation where you didn't care what happened to the recipient. Like, um, you know, like Walmart leaves a wet floor with no sign. It's like you just didn't care that people could slip and fall or like what's the deal here, you know? Um, but the problem with that idea that Sinistro just didn't care what happened to this guy is that the forward roll back take is not the most dangerous move that Sinistro could have done from that position, not even remotely close to the most dangerous move that he could have done. If anything, the forward roll back take from the position that they started the forward roll back take in is a pretty like finesse based move uh, based on like the side your opponent's head is turned to and the way that they lean. You're going with their body weight as opposed to going against their body weight. Um, in the world of grappling martial arts, you have these two opposing principles, Tenkan and um, Irimi. Tenkan being pressure that is moved around a driving force. Think like bullfighters. The bull runs at the cape. The bullfighter moves to the side. The bull goes past him. Or Irimi, which would be a direct force. Think two people with collar ties driving their foreheads into each other. Right? So you have these opposing concepts. And Tenkan is by far the easiest on your opponent because you move around them. They never feel your pressure. They never feel anything. The issue that happened here, and you may say, like, well, if it was that, then how does this guy's neck get broken? Like, obviously, there was a different outcome, is that the guy turned his head at the last second to the wrong side. He, in an attempt to do a Granby roll, okay, in an attempt to do a, another more advanced, I guess, if the front roll back take is an advanced technique, then the Granby roll is, is definitely an advanced technique. In an attempt to do a Granby roll and avoid his back from being taken, he put his head on the wrong side for the forward roll back take. And I think Henner Gracie's point was that well, the forward roll back take maybe, you know, is, is a relatively advanced technique or dangerous or whatever. It's only not dangerous when the other guy understands the possibility of getting injured if you if you do this thing where you put your head on the wrong side. And his whole point was it was negligence because this guy wasn't good enough to understand that. But then we open up the door to this idea that, like, instructors can't do moves to their students that their students haven't ever seen before. And that's so impossible to constantly know, like, if I'm your coach, I relatively know what you know, but I don't know like what you know, you know? I don't know if you were staring at the, if there's a class of 40 people, I don't know if you were staring at the floor when I showed that move 3 weeks ago, you know what I mean? And furthermore, I don't even know how much you cared to even do the move considering the fact that jiu-jitsu is a bit of uh, like the wild west when it comes to assimilation of technique. Most people just kind of say, "Well, I don't do arm bars. They don't fit my game." And it's like even though that's a very high percentage in traditional move that you should probably understand, you know, you can't make them understand it. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, my take on it is just that it was a super freak accident. I think we've I've seen people get rolled over their neck like that before and be completely fine. Like, oh, that hurts, but I'm good. You know, so for his neck to break in the way that it did and for it to have happened that way and be in that scenario, I think it was a freak accident. And I feel terrible for that guy because freak accidents happen all the time. People die all the time from freak accidents. It's it's fucking horrible and there's like how do you avoid it 
but I also feel bad for Sinistro because it's like, man, you didn't really do anything crazy. Like, I know that Henry had some something about him spiking him on his head. Dude, he did he did not. That's like the furthest thing from a spike on the head. You know what I mean? So from my perspective, it's like Sinistro, I feel terrible for him. For the guy who got his neck broken, I feel terrible for him. But as far as like Kenner Gracie is concerned, it's like, brother, you just sold our whole community for a quick buck and and basically twisted the story. Um, and for whatever reason, this guy's experience and stuff was inadmissible. I don't understand why the judge threw out all of the evidence pertaining to this guy's prior experience, but he said it didn't really pertain to the to the case. But I say when you're calling it gross negligence based on the fact that this guy should have known the defense or at least know how to move with the technique, and if he doesn't know that, then it's negligence, then I do think his experience should be called into, you know, into the uh, arena there because it, it makes no sense, you know? Sure. H- how do you think this can negatively impact the jiu-jitsu community? Of course, uh, gym owners across the country, maybe even across the world, may be now thinking, oh, shit, I hope I'm properly insured in case something mm. like that happens. I hope the rates don't skyrocket because of this $46 million payout. I mean, Jesus, what does that do to uh, you know insurance rates going forward? Also, as a black belt, does this make you a little bit hesitant about even going with new people? Well, the the thing about the reverberation through the community from this is, yeah, this sets a dangerous precedence. This sets a precedence that says, like, best case scenario, it says you can't do techniques to underbelts if they've never seen them before, which is, like, very – that's a very hard target to hit all the time. And then worst case scenario, it says – you can't let white belts roll in your gym. If you let white belts roll in your gym, it's negligence. And you know how crazy you know how crazy that is? Like some white belt comes in with a pre-existing injury. His ankle's hurt, but he never went to the doctor. So it's hard to prove that it was already that way. And then he rolls that day. And then afterwards, he's like, nah, my ankle got hurt at the gym and he sues the gym. And it's like, you go, nah, man, that's assumed risk. I got video. I got all these things. And then... And then the, the judge goes, well, the video of the role where, where you're saying he didn't hurt his ankle, that's irrelevant because you allowed a white belt to roll at your gym. And the precedence here is that that's gross negligence. So now you're you're at fault. And it's like, bro, if that's going to be what we're doing going forward, my gym is about to offer three beginners classes with no rolling and you get a gray belt. Then you come then you come to the regular training with everybody else and you get to roll. Are you being, if white belt- are you being sarcastic or are you serious? I'm like... 80 20 there. I'm like 80% sarcastic. <laughs> okay, but also, like, Henner kind of does that. The Henner system kind of does that, I think, right? Yeah, I don't think they let you roll until you're a blue belt over there, brother. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine being a blue belt that's never live trained before? I don't, me personally, I don't think I would have stuck around that long if I didn't see no, the, I wouldn't the, either. the legitimacy of, oh shit, this guy just tapped me and he's smaller and younger than me. It's legitimate, yeah. so I want to stick around. I think that's what hooked me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, bro, is it's like now the magic's gone, you know? And, like, another thing I thought, too, is, like, a lot of people who are deep in the jiu-jitsu community, they already pretty much see Henner for what he is, you know? Like, it's, it wasn't surprising to me when I heard that he got paid, like, a hundred grand to say all this stuff. And when I read his transcript, it really wasn't surprising to me at all, especially when he started talking about, like, his schools and his association and all this. I was like, yeah, this is classic Henner. Everyone no one knows jujitsu but us type talk. That's pretty much always Henner's like thing. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, great. 
I saw that coming a mile away. What I didn't see coming is once I saw it all, like I was like, ah, yeah, the community's going to eat this guy for this. I didn't see how many people are agreeing with him. I didn't see that coming. I thought the community would just eat him alive. I was like, hey, he threw us all under the bus. You know, you got black belts like Draculino from Gracie Baja. He's he's an attorney or was an attorney for a long time. You got Draculino coming through and going like, all right, man, here's what you did. And just breaking it down from an attorney's standpoint, just being like, you really like screwed us all. You know what I mean? And Henner's also like so insulting about all of it. Like he puts out this video. I don't know if you've seen this video that he put out, but he puts out this video and he gives all these assurances. Like the people in the jiu-jitsu community are just stupid. Like he's like, yeah, guys, I know that some people are saying that this is going to set a dangerous precedence and I promise you it won't. And it's like, bro, you don't get to decide that. You have no control over that. You, what you did was you went in and you got paid for a service and you provided that service. That's what you did. And when you did that, you screwed all of us. You screwed all of us for a hundred grand. And it's like a hundred grand might be a lot of money to a lot of people, but a hundred grand to that dude is not... You know what I mean? Like, you really did that for 100 grand. So my point on all of it is just, yes, it sets a terrible precedence for the community. I do think they're going to appeal it. And if, I think I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think if they win the appeal, I think it doesn't set the precedence. I think the precedence goes away, right? Like, so I think, um, but if they lose the appeal, I think it becomes even more viable, right? Like, I think it becomes like a thing for sure, right? So that's the one big dangerous thing for me. The other big dangerous thing for me is exactly what you just said. It's like, I had a Nogi Judo seminar here on Saturday, and obviously this thing just happened right in the previous week. And I'm like looking at all these people coming in from other schools and stuff, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, sheesh, man, like, I really shouldn't be thinking about all this. You know what I mean? Like, I, why do I feel bad about sharing knowledge with the community? Like, our doors are always open. We let everyone come train. We roll with everybody, bro. Like, you know, and, uh, it, yeah, it is a thing like that. You know what I'm saying? It is a thing like that where you're worried about it. But I think that if it becomes a thing like that, dude, where it's like new guys and stuff like that, I'm just going to make like a minimum requirement where I say like, all right, man, you got to come to this many beginners classes. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do about the belts, dude. If it becomes a thing where it's black and white like that, where it's like, oh, he was a white belt and he rolled, so now you're screwed. Um, then I'll just give him a gray belt or something. I don't care. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just doesn't mean anything to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it would mean something to me. Like, if you could come at it from, like, the, oh, well, like, this is the art, and it's this, and it's that. But, like, bro, the art, the Gracies basically built the current, like, belt system and stuff that we have. And, like, they're the ones responsible for tearing it down. So I really don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you want to sink your own ship, sink it. I'm just not going to stay on it with you. You know what I'm saying? So that's my that's kind of, like, my view of of moving forward, like, beyond just the kind of like personal like sort of uh frustrations i have with hitter for like screwing us all from from my perspective if a black belt cannot go hard with the uh, even a white belt who comes in and has been wrestling his whole life and is competing okay and he wants to get good rounds in with this black belt instructor then what the hell are we even doing i mean i, I don't get it yeah. we're, we're i mean you you and i both know a, a young wrestler i think he's 23 now so i guess he was 18 or 19 or something then he was a young wrestler um and he wanted some good rounds i assume he competes and so if the 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 black belt now has the incentive to say no thanks i don't want those rounds then that that really does seem like a, a just a bad direction yeah man it is a bad direction and it's like um 
that's why okay so so on the in the world of like safety for like a business owner or a black belt um i i don't i mean i guess i'm the one to say it there's more people that have probably said it waivers and insurance are just not gonna save you like i think people don't really understand like and it's crazy and one of the things that's a problem in the jiu-jitsu community is that anyone can become a anyone can become a like a coach but most of the time when they become a coach it involves them opening a school and opening a school is opening a business right so if you have no business sense at all like you have no experience there you have no advisors around you or anyone to help you with it you're gonna probably hit every branch on your way to falling out of that tree. You know what I mean? Like it's just going to happen. It's just how it goes. People lose businesses all the time. People who, who literally open and sell businesses for a living lose businesses all the time. Major corporations get sued. The, the level of this lawsuit in other um, markets is nothing. There are like businesses that would look at this lawsuit and go like, Oh yeah, that's nothing. That's Tuesday for us. You know what I mean? And it's like, you're like having conversations with dudes in the community and they're like, well, didn't he sign a waiver? And it's like, yeah, but this, this case wasn't built on assumed risk. This built, this case was built on negligence. Waivers don't protect against negligence. And furthermore, insurance most of the time doesn't cover negligence either. So if you're found guilty of negligence, not only was the waiver just uh, stupid, it doesn't even make it to the courtroom, but your insurance is probably not going to pay shit. And like you said, insurance is, probably are going to increase just because they have an excuse to increase even though they know that this is completely inapplicable in every way to your insurance policy um let's just increase the price i know uh there's a popular martial arts insurance called uh, karate insurance that a lot of gyms use karate insurance just increased their prices um so that's already happening but i it didn't it, they didn't i saw the email from karate insurance they didn't say due to this case they 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 said a number of other things and they definitely framed it differently. But my point basically is, yes, I think insurance rates are going to go up. Is having like higher insurance going to protect you from this? No, probably not. Uh, will that dude ever see forty six million dollars? No, probably not. You know what I mean? Like all that this case did was bring a bunch of unnecessary attention. And create a poor precedence for us. But one positive thing that it may have done was wake up a bunch of these school owners that think that their waiver is going to save them if somebody gets hurt or think that like their insurance is going to have their back if some, someone gets hurt. You know, one of the real protection is have everything under an LLC, separate your business and your personal, do not spend money from your gym on personal things, and any other financial ventures you may have should be under separate LLCs as well. That way, when someone eventually does this, you liquidate the gym, you give them everything you got, and then you go and you open another gym and you move on. You know what I mean? But these guys that like their gym account is their personal account and they don't have LLCs and they don't understand any of this stuff, like you guys are sitting ducks waiting for some random scam artist to come through and just take everything from you. You know, they'll take your house, your car, they'll take everything from you. If you, you know, and, the, and other businesses deal with this every day, you know, like I grew up in this town called Gulf Shores from the beach, right? There was a scam that a guy ran where he took his, uh, his, his, uh, crippled best friend, his, his handicapped best friend in a wheelchair. And he took him to different restaurants on the beach to see if they had a handicap accessible service window. Okay. And that sounds like a really like 
that sounds like a thing you would have. Most places do not have that thing. And when you see that thing, you yourself, I feel like, would be like, what? what's happening? So basically, this guy goes to this bar. It's an outdoor bar. And it's just a normal bar, right? Like, you know, the bar is probably like chest high. You go up to it. You do your thing. Guy goes there, leaves, attorney contacts the restaurant. Hey, man, you guys don't have a handicap accessible service window. And neither do these other businesses. We're going to file a suit for how our client was discriminated against at your place because he did not have a handicap accessible service window. And the reason I know this is because of one of my students from Gulf Shores, his family owned one of those restaurants. I went to the restaurant and there was this window that was like waist high and it had a little bar and the top of the window was like neck high. So you couldn't even really see, like you had to bend over to see down into the window. And I was like, bro, do you guys have like a kid's window at a bar? This isn't cool. This is kind of fucked up. And he's like, nah, man, that's the handicapped service window so that this guy can roll up in his wheelchair to that window and be served drinks. And if we didn't put that there, we were going to be fined all this money. And they still had to pay a bunch of money, but they would have been fined an incredible amount of money if they didn't build this weird little window that literally no one ever uses because no one comes there and does that. You know what I mean? And it's like to them, that was like normal as hell. They were like, close the restaurant for a week, build this window, pay this money, we move on. But Jim got, and I don't know how much they paid, like probably like, you know, 90 to 100 grand or something like that. And it's like, you hit Gracie Baja up the street and you go, you guys don't have a handicap accessible front door. Here's 90 grand. Their, their gym just closed. You know what I mean? Their gym just closed. Their owner had to liquidate. He had to do a bunch of shit. And it's like, it's like, bro, if you guys aren't, if you guys aren't protecting yourselves from this stuff, you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, so I don't know. I think in a good way, maybe it'll wake a lot of these business owners up and make them like, you know, build a little bit of a safer house for themselves here. But in a bad way, dude, it's just like, come on, man. Are we all about to start getting in trouble with stuff like this? Do we have to really watch over our shoulders 24-7 when you guys come through the door? You know, if a guy who wrestled for three years, trained for three years at another gym, competed, you know, I think someone said he fought MMA. You know, it's like if, if that guy can walk through your door and get $46 million. Like what, you know, what are the possibilities, brother? I agree. Very difficult situation. No winners in this case. I mean, regardless, even the people who are defending Henner on this, I mean, it's not a pleasant topic for any of it. So I appreciate you taking your time, Sean, and joining me. Um, I see you just finished up there training. I assume you're in Atlanta. Yeah, man. Yeah. We just wrapped up training. Uh, get a bunch of guys competing and a bunch of stuff coming up. So training just runs forever. Like I think our training started at 11. So it's like a little after two now. So we just wrapped up. So, and then we'll be back again tonight to do it again. So cool. Well, Sean Applegate, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Yeah, brother. No worries, man. We are now joined by Kyle Hinkle. Kyle is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt out of Idaho. Also has a, a former college wrestler, so very experienced in the world of grappling. Kyle, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, not a problem. Always a pleasure to jump in and talk a little bit of some jiu-jitsu with you there. Yeah, it's uh, um, not exactly the, 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 the greatest topic in the world, but of course, everybody in the jiu-jitsu community, probably not just in the United States, but I'm guessing all across the world, has been tuned in closely to this 2018 uh, legal case that just came 
I guess it just finished a few days ago, so now we're all hearing about it. But this guy in California, a black belt gym owner, was rolling with a white belt uh, competitor and, and also a guy who has some wrestling experience. And the black belt gym owner did a was attacking the white belt's turtle and tried to do like a, a rollover back take type type move. And you can see in the video it really just it just fucked his neck up pretty bad. And I mean, he kind of went limp. So very disturbing. Of course, a lot of people are, are, uh, intrigued by the, the, I think it's a $46 million payout that the, the, the white belt's going to get. And it really just financially is kind of screwing over the, the gym owner entirely. But I think Clark Gracie was one of the, uh, expert witnesses on the side of the defense, for the gym owner, and then Henner Gracie was brought in, and he 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 said it, but he was paid ninety three thousand dollars to be the expert witness for the uh, prosecution. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on wh- what is it that happened, and what are your thoughts on the incident? Yeah, so as everyone knows, jiu jitsu is a pretty full contact sport. You know that you're not signing up for basketball or ballet; it's a higher risk of injury. Um, the move that he specifically tried to do was a Leo Vieira back take, which typically Leo would do that in a gi. Very, uh, for Leo, very high success rate move. There wasn't a lot of injuries sustained when he was performing that on even live competition. And so seeing somebody break their neck from that was definitely very odd to me because Tom DeBlas actually recently posted about that. Kind of playing devil's advocate here a little bit on that one. People do know what they're signing up for. And from watching the video, yes, it was pretty darn hard to watch on that one. The guy, as he went for that back take and lunged forward, his neck got caught underneath. You saw him go limp. For me, I saw immediate remorse from the professor. And I I really, I can't in good faith say that it was intentional on that one. The white belt, as you said, is a white belt in jiu-jitsu. And just for people who might not be as familiar, typically it takes about 10 years to go from white to black in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And the white belt was, although a white belt, he had competed at PANS before then. So he was relatively skilled for that level. It's just, it's so hard to pick a, a real side on this one just because it is such a hairy situation. And as you call that, it was 40 plus million, I believe, for the lawsuit. Was it 43 or 46? I couldn't yeah, quite I, I think it was $46 million. Who knows if they'll ever get it? Or maybe it's just the insurance company cutting a check. I don't even know. Regardless, that's a yeah. lot of money. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's such a hard situation because jujitsu really has started to become a lot more mainstream. Um, even here in Idaho, we have like seven gyms within five miles of each other. And so it's been really cool. We see a lot of uh, Gracie universities. I personally train at a Checkmat affiliate in Boise, super cool gym, very low injuries. And for me, I've also been through quite the daisy chain of injuries. I have about eight, had both my knees redone, biceps, pec, rotator cuff, all that fun jazz. But I understood the assignment when I was signing up for participating in that sport. And ironically, I've never once been injured in competition. It's always been in training just with freak accidents, very similar to this one. Now, obviously, breaking your neck's a lot different than tearing a bicep. But on that same kind of cadence, you have to... It's a weird line to draw between whether it was intentional and he was forcefully trying to hurt the student or whether it was just one of those, I can't believe this happened. It's a one in a million type training incidents. This is the first time personally that I've ever heard of somebody breaking their net while training. You hear about those big injuries in competition and things like that. 
And so it's a little bit hard for me to weigh in on that. The concerns at first glance, uh, I would say, at least from my perspective, now keep in mind, I'm not a gym owner. So, I mean, uh-huh. I, I, I would imagine it's different if you're a gym owner or a black belt in particular, maybe a head instructor, you know, you, Kyle, you teach jujitsu on a regular basis. Yeah. So I actively run the kids program here down in Boise, big contributor to that. And then the kids, that's like herding cats, right? The injuries that kids get, it's funny. Um, it's not funny, but it's funny with how much they blow it up. They, they tweak their ankle and they think they break their neck. Sure. But for adults, typically it's much more tame. You rarely see accidents like this one. And when it does happen, since it's such a positive community, people do tend to rally around that and really start diving in. I think that it was super positive that they had that video footage of the training for the event. Okay. So I I guess from my perspective is I can only imagine if I were a gym owner or a black belt such as yourself who also wrestled in college and if you're the highest ranked person on the mats and a new guy comes in and wants to go hard, Mm -hmm. you've trained for how many years to go, okay, let's fucking go. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, Mm -hmm. My concern would be even just being a black belt who doesn't maybe own the gym, Mm-hmm. Are you now concerned? Like, I'm a black belt. This guy's technically a white belt now. Maybe he's big and strong and younger than me, and he's been wrestling. He was a real good wrestler, and I'm excited. This yeah. is going to be at least an exciting round. It's at least fun for you, and you're going to try to do well. And and and, and that guy wants you to go yeah. hard against him and submit him, and he wants to progress. But does it make you a little bit apprehensive going with the brand new guy now? being that you're maybe the highest ranked person on the mats, is there a, uh, a precedent that is being set where you could almost get to a point where you're like, fuck that, I'm not even going with the new guy? So it's funny you bring that up. Um, I'm sure most black belts that you'll talk to, they don't roll very often with white belts. It's not out of like a d- disrespectful thing or like a pecking order, thing like that. That's a lot more old school the more like new school black belts. And it's just a trend I'm observing. I have no objective measures behind this. I typically stray away from rolling with white belts because ironically, I'm the one who gets injured most of the time because they start to move a certain direction. Like, why are you doing that? That doesn't make sense. That's not technically sound. It's that argument of like the unarmed swordsman is the most deadly swordsman in that one, uh, just because it's so unpredictable. So that being said, I personally unless I know the person or unless I've seen them roll a couple times and I know I can be either controlled or as you called out, they have the wherewithal to be like, Hey, I know basic body mechanics. I know if he goes this direction, I don't go this way or I blow up my MCL. I don't yank on submissions, anything like that. So it's really, again, kind of funny you say that because just naturally I tend to not want to roll with brand new white belts. Even when I visited your gym in Louisville, I definitely, I enjoyed rolling with purple belts and up. That's my general rule. If I'm going to go really hard with somebody, if white, blue, blue is a little bit easier, especially if they're hyper competitive, but it's still one of those where I'm like, I'm going to have to go through the meat grinder, especially if it's some college wrestler dude, because they see a younger black belt that also wrestled in college. I go, look, look, I wrestled for a D3 school. I'm not anything much to brag about on that one, but it's just, it's a different cadence when somebody isn't as technical because they only know what they know and they get put in different situations. And I go, man, my risk of injury is substantially higher when I roll somebody that doesn't know how to properly roll or train there. 
I was speaking with a friend about this earlier today, and one of the, I guess, litigious strategies that could be employed going forward could be you have someone come in off the streets. They say they wrestled for four years in high school and they wrestled in college for four years. You say, okay, you're new to jujitsu. Let me, you know, you know, work with you a little bit. And then once you see their level of proficiency with grappling, maybe you say, I'm going to give you a gray belt just because Mm -hmm. you are not a typical brand new white belt. And therefore maybe you're legally less liable to get into this type of a situation. I know that's not the same. You're saying that you would avoid rolling with, with white belts for the most part, because you're at higher risk for getting injured. So that's kind of a different, uh, really the opposite reason, which I agree with you. Most people who train jujitsu for a long time are aware a white belt is the most dangerous guy on the mats because you don't know what they're going to do, especially if they're young and they're mm-hmm. strong and they're athletic. Maybe they played football or something where they're just really it's trying a rugby to be horse looking guy. Yeah. yeah they're, they're coming at you. They're trying to win. They don't know mm-hmm. what's going on, but they know they're going to go real hard. So I get that. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think of the idea of having, does it cheapen the sport to get to a point where we start to say, okay, legally now we have to say this new guy is a white belt, but, He's now trained with us for a few months. He wrestled four years in high school. He's not your average white belt. We're going to say he's now a gray belt. Do you have a problem with that? So with that one, it's actually super common practice, even for like grappling industries or Naga events, things like that. You can be a white belt in jujitsu, but you'll have a D1. Yeah, you'll have a D1 college wrestler come in. And so what they do for those tournaments is they have – what was it? God, I haven't competed out of Naga for a while. I do a lot more IVJJF for like super fight events now. Um, but what they used to do is like, if you had college wrestling experience, you had to at minimum compete at blue belt or for Nogi intermittent. You couldn't register for the white belt or beginner classes. They did the same thing with professional fighters, which I personally strongly agree with because having somebody having a soccer dad versus a D1 athlete, because they're both white belts is it's, un- it's just, it's culturally unacceptable there and it's unsafe to the athletes here in Idaho. There's a, there's a gym and I, I do applaud them for this platform that they run. Uh, they have a cap program. It's at a SBG school where they don't even let the white belts train until a certain amount of time, like live training with each other. They still practice techniques, do cardio, warm ups, all that fun jazz, but they put a time limit on, Hey, you know, no matter what, what your allocates were prior we want you to go through this introductory program just to teach them how to safely roll. And I do, I do applaud that one at the gym. I train at, we don't do that, but we've also really focused on that culture of, Hey, we don't win medals in training. It's cool to go hard, make sure both people understand the social arrangement there. Cause nothing's more frustrating saying, Hey man, I'd love to have a flow roll. You go cool. No problem. And then they go ADCC West coast trials. And I'm sitting there like, all right, I guess I'll match that. Cause I don't want to get hurt. But then the person's surprised, and it's like, oh, we kind of both agreed to this. Sure. So overall, Henner was compensated $93,000 for being an expert witness for the prosecution. Do you have a problem with that? Do you feel like he kind of sold out the jujitsu community and just threw everybody under the bus? Or what are your thoughts specifically on Henner's involvement? Did you see his video? He addressed this on Instagram. Have you seen anything about that? that? I haven't seen that one yet. Uh, 
as I told you a little bit earlier, um, jujitsu is definitely a giant hobby of mine. I like to have, actively compete, but I also have to pay the bills. Gotcha. And I'm not a Gordon, and I'm not on BJJ Fanatics, so I still work a job like 90% of America there on that front. So I wish that I would have seen more of that video. I think definitely having him as a witness because of his experience is a positive thing in general. The amount that he got paid, that's that's not my not my monkey, not my circus there. I think that it would do greater justice, and you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong, if he had a, just a little bit more background information on the general flow, the cadence, the why people are a little bit more leery about rolling with white belts, how injuries can happen, especially with experienced grapplers and the dynamic nature of the sport. Great answer. So um, my goal with these episodes, I think it's going to be one or two episodes where I mash together a bunch of black belts with their thoughts on this, was to try to get different perspectives. Of course, as you can imagine, many people are very critical of Henner uh, uh, Mm -hmm. for this instance, and uh, a lot of them maybe weren't fans of Henner's even prior to this at all. Um, Mm -hmm. So, of course, this could compound that. But it sounds to me like, in a way, you're kind of saying... It's unfortunate that the guy is, uh, 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 I think he can walk a little bit now, but he can't do any combat sports. He's in a wheelchair most of the time. Very unfortunate incident, but all in all, you really don't have a problem with the idea that uh, uh, going forward, there will be maybe more caution and more thought put into the entirety of the process because as you said it's not basketball certainly not basketball but it's not you know some non-contact sport at all this is something where you could get hurt and it should be taken very seriously am i hearing you correctly yeah or let's say even less contact it's not bowling it's not golf right it's super in your face it's borderline claustrophobic because that's how close you are to those training partners and with that again Jiu-Jitsu was developed as an art of self-defense there. You're not trying to just score points. You're trying to put somebody in a very disadvantageous position, and you can have that position of power over them. That being said, it definitely needs – I know especially at our current gym that I train at now, we do have like a legal waiver that when someone signs up, essentially you're saying, yes, I realize that shit can hit the fan. This sucks. We understand that there's a risk of injury. We try our best to limit that risk of injury by, again, proper instruction, proper training partners and everything like that. But at the end of the day, it's kind of on the buyer a little bit to realize, look, I'm going in there with guys that are trying to meet this one objective. That objective is to apply stress, tension, and borderline dangerous force on ligaments. Now, of course, anybody that's, that's good or anybody that's training with the right mindset, they just let go. Right. Even when I when I go and visit different gyms, I'll get to a submission and I'll hold it. I know I have the darn Kimura and I just don't want to tear the guy's shoulder out. So I'll just sit there with it and I'll say, all right, buddy, like I'll let you work out because I don't care if I win. Cool. If a white belt taps me, also cool. But I'll never forcefully if I think I have it, I won't go that extra four inches to really make the person tap. And I think that's something that people need to adopt a little bit more. Um, Kyle, you said you, of course, have to work to pay the bills and, and, you know, you don't devote all your time to jujitsu. I certainly appreciate that. Um, you wrestled in college, you compete (laughs) at the black belt level, um, in jujitsu. So, I mean, you're a heck of a resource for this type of topic in my opinion. So Kyle Hinkle, I really appreciate your time. 
Thank you very much. Yeah, not a problem. Absolute pleasure. And anytime you'd like me to come back, I'd be more than happy to weigh in. I would love to. Kyle, thank you. Yeah, no problem.